Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. Our message today as we look at the journey to the cross, it's very helpful if you have a bulletin and uh, there's an outline in the bulletin, so I'd encourage you to, to get one to pull it up now on the link that's given. Uh, journey to the cross. This is the season of Lent and we're looking at the daily events surrounding Holy Week. This is part five, which is Thursday, and the title of the message is Failing Successfully. Luke chapter 22 is one of my texts, and Mark chapter 14 is my other. My sources include Rich Hansen's The Week on Which the World Turns, William Hendrickson's commentary on Mark and Luke from the New Testament commentary, and Philip Graham Ryken's commentary from the Reformed Expository Commentary on Luke. I'll start with uh, Luke 22. The scene is just after the Last Supper, so we're at Thursday night of Holy Week, and this is the Word of God. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And then turning back to the gospel according to St. Mark, Mark chapter 14, verse 27. Again, the same setting right after the Last Supper. You will all fall away from me, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. 
Here comes my betrayer. The grass withers. The flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing this for us through Mark and through Luke. And so we pray that you would teach us your truth. Teach us about Peter. Teach us about ourselves. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He has been called one of the biggest busts in the history of the NBA. The NBA being the National Basketball Association. Darko Milicic, a largely unknown player from Serbia, was the second player chosen in the 2003 NBA draft right after LeBron James and right before NBA All-Stars Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. Imagine carrying that burden around. Biggest failure of all time. Everywhere you go. Forever. Darko never developed his talent. For his entire career in the NBA, Darko played little, and he scored little. It was a miserable time in his life. He was filled with anger and frustration. He would often come home after a game, and and in his rage, he would punch holes in the walls of his apartment. He says, I was so lost, I really came to hate basketball, you know? I just wanted to come back home and live another life, which is exactly what he did. He moved back to Serbia, he settled down with his wife and children, and started a new life as a fruit farmer. The article that I read concluded with a touching story about Darko's Christian faith. He regularly attends services at a local Serbian Orthodox monastery. The monks know Darko. One of them says that one of the most important elements for Serbian Orthodox ritual is the notion of communal prayer. It is not enough to just perform the liturgy, he says. It must be done together. And afterward, people gather in this tranquil place and they talk. And they share. And they say that Darko never leaves early. This is where he comes for reflection and for confession And for expiation. And each time he relives the moments of his greatest failures in basketball. Those that feel the worst. And he says, you have to talk. When you have something inside of you that's killing you. It's eating you on the inside. You have to talk to somebody. That's the only way you're ever going to take care of it. And he sums up his life and failures in biblical language when he says this. He says, I kind of feel like old Darko died. Like when I think about myself, he says, or myself when I was playing, I feel like I'm sort of thinking about someone who is dead. And many people's lives are like Darko's. I mean, you only have to read the stories of Samson and and King David and Moses uh, to discover that the Christian life, though victorious for sure, is very perilous. And you only have to study the life of Simon Peter to fully comprehend what I'm talking about. It was Jesus who called Peter... Cephas, which is Aramaic, and it means rock. But after seeing all the blunders, after seeing all the failures of this rock, you might be inclined to say that to call Simon, the son of Jonas, a rock is to insult rocks, generally speaking. Shifting sand, yes, but a rock? No, not not, not Simon. 
Matthew 16 is a, a tremendous passage. It's a famous passage in terms of the encounter with Jesus and his disciples. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is actually asking the disciples, who are people saying that I am? You remember the passage? It's a great passage. And the disciples start answering and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter was the one who spoke up that day and he said, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say back to him? He said, Simon, you've done well. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So that, that confession is the grand confession of Simon Peter where he confessed Jesus to be the Christ. So I want us to think about that phrase for a moment. He says, and I tell you, Jesus said this, I tell you, you are Peter. And I have it in your outline. It's the word Petros. And on this rock, and that's the word Petra, I will build my church. Jesus said this to Simon Peter at Caesarea Philippi. He changed Simon's name there to Peter. Now, Peter can be said two ways. One time it can mean a small stone, and the other time it can mean a huge boulder. It just depends. So I think what Jesus actually was saying was this. You are Peter, a small stone. But upon this Peter, a massive rock, referring to Peter's confession, when Peter confessed Jesus Christ as the Messiah, I will build my church. Do you get it? Now, there's... Two similar words in Greek that mean stone or rock. Jesus used the pebble one for Peter's new name and the boulder one for the rock that would build his church. So Peter wasn't the massive rock, but rather the small stone. The power, the power was in Peter's confession, which is the way that Jesus Christ is still building his church today. You know, this is a tough day. We had planned to receive new members this morning. There's several couples that were planning to stand right up here in front of me and face all of the congregation today and make a public confession and profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. So the confession that Peter made in Matthew 16, people are still making it today. People are still making it today as they stand in front of people and declare, my hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So I imagine it's on account of the weaknesses and the failings of Simon Peter that, that all of us so so much identify with Peter. I mean, we, we all tend to identify with Peter because he was weak, right? We know him because we see him hopping around throughout the New Testament on one foot with the other foot tucked squarely into his mouth, right? He always had that incredible knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. For example, the transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, where Peter says, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. Let's build three shelters, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. And if you remember, that's when God spoke to his son from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Simon Peter, shut up. Listen to my son. Or how about this one? On that night, that Thursday night, when Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples, he came to Simon Peter, and what did Peter say? 
Not me, Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Well, then wash my feet, my hands, my head, all of me. You just have to love Peter for that. And then in our companion text in Mark chapter 14, he says, even if all of these other bozos fall away, I never will. And then Jesus predicted Peter's denials. He said that very night, he says, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, this is in verse 30 and 31, you yourself, Simon Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. So talk is cheap, right? Which leads us to three lessons this morning. And I hope you do have an outline to follow with me. The first being the danger of spiritual pride. The danger of spiritual pride. The Bible warns us time and time again. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. As Mark sang so beautifully. More of Jesus in my life means less of me in my life. It's like our first parents. We, we are our chief enemy. We are our greatest problem. Of all the four-letter words you can think of, the worst one is self. Self. How much do you depend on yourself? Have you been exposed? And I don't mean to the virus. But has this virus and the pandemic, has it exposed your self-sufficiency? Has it brought you to your knees? Has it given you a sense of perspective you did not have before? You know, if Satan can infect you with fear, he knows that you will infect someone else. And so right now, we're all being challenged to trust the Lord, to lean upon the rock, the true rock, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And on this Thursday evening of Holy Week, Jesus had been in danger since the beginning of this chapter when it says in Luke 22, verse 3, Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. Now, this is a clear instance of demonic possession. Only it wasn't simply an ordinary demon that entered into Judas. Our text says it was the devil himself. But you need to know Satan didn't want just Judas... I think he wanted all of the disciples. So in the text in Luke chapter 22, look at verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift. Some translations say you. My translation says all of you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you. It is a plural you in the Greek. As wheat. And then it goes on to say this in verse 32. But... I have prayed for you, Simon, calls him Simon, that your faith may not fail. But Jesus' point was Satan was really after Peter, which is not surprising, right? I mean, after all, he was the leading disciple. He was the spokesman for the disciples. He was the first disciple that Jesus called. He was the first to confess that Jesus was the Christ. He was the first to get out of the boat and walk on water I mean, if if Satan could destroy Peter, he could destroy them all. Yet what we need to understand is, is what Jesus said to Simon Peter 
It's really also true of us. Satan wants you. He wants to have you, and he will stop at nothing to have you for himself. 20th century British writer and lay theologian C.S. Lewis, for those of you who are, are not familiar with him, he taught English literature at both Cambridge and Oxford. He wrote such great classics as Mere Christianity, which the Lord has used that book to lead many people to faith in Jesus Christ. He wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And yes, he wrote one of his, his most famous works, the screw tape letters, which our, one of our Sunday school classes has been studying, in which a junior demon named Wormwood has failed to prevent a young man from becoming a Christian. His mentor, an even more infernal demon named Screwtape, is furious about this <clears throat> unhappy development, but at the same time excited about the prospect that now he will be allowed to have Wormwood for himself. He says this, screw tape does. I have always desired you. I think they will give you to me now, or a bit of you. Love you? Why, yes, as dainty a morsel as ever I grew fat on. And the letter is signed, Your increasingly and ravenously affectionate uncle. Lewis's letters are based on biblical reality. Satan is always looking for someone to devour. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You know, uh, I don't know if we really think about the fact of how much danger you're in. As a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going one direction. Everyone else, the whole world is going the opposite direction. So you're in a lot of danger. And Satan is not only, he's one of your enemies. The world is an enemy. The world spirit is an enemy. But Satan is one of your enemies. And, and I think what he wants more than anything is to trip up a Christian who's heading in the right direction. How important is it for you to finish I can't overstate it. It's so important that you finish well. Some of you may have been struggling in your Christian life for some time. You started well, and then you hit a roadblock of some sort. Something knocked you off track, and now you don't know how to get back. Listen, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord so that you might finish the race in the midst of this pandemic. It could easily, with the economic downturn. It could easily trip you up so that you stop trusting the Lord. And, and so again, right now, think about the, the fact of the pride that all of us have and how we tend to lean on ourselves and those things that we know are, are something we can count on. At this point, the one that you can count on is the Lord Jesus. And my encouragement to you today is that you turn to him in the midst of this pandemic. But, you know, when I think about the warning that Jesus gave to Simon Peter, I think of all the people that I have known, friends, parishioners, through the years, who have tragically not continued in the faith. So, verse 33 says this in Luke chapter 22. He replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. 
I mean, he's, he's saying all the right things. So why did Peter fail? I mean, why did all the people that I have known fail? I think because their confidence was misplaced. Their confidence was in themselves. And like Peter, they were not confident in Christ and leaning on Christ. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, until the end of time. And so really, for the Christian life, I have to be dependent upon Jesus Christ to help me. Jesus Christ to be my Lord, my Savior, my rock as I go through whatever it is that I face. I can't do it. And you can't do it. If we lean on ourselves, we're going to fall. So beware of spiritual pride. The second lesson of the day is the danger of a spiritual fall. As it turned out, Peter was not ready to go to prison in the cross with Jesus after all. Satan did sift him as wheat, hoping that he would be blown away. And my point is, Peter did fall into sin. He did deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. But here's what I want you to know today. He did not fall away from the faith. There are many people who get tripped up in sin, and they fail in that way, and they get tossed aside from the faith for a time, and then again it becomes permanent. For Peter, it was not permanent. And for you, it doesn't have to be permanent. You don't have to fall away from the faith. You can return to the Lord. You say, well, I feel horrible about what I've done. Well, you should feel horrible, but you should come to Jesus with that horrible feeling and give him all of your guilt and let him, let him wrap his arms around you with his forgiveness and his grace and wash you thoroughly clean. And that's what he did for Peter. I love verse 32 where it says not only after, he says, Simon, in verse 31, I, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But, he says, and verse 32 begins with the word but. This is the adversative conjunction. It puts everything that Jesus would do over against everything that Satan would try. So I want you to think about this. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You may fail me. But your faith's not going to fail because I've prayed for you. And when you have turned back, in other words, I know you're going to come back. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So how did Peter fail successfully? He failed successfully because he did return and depend on his rock. There's really two things that Jesus did to protect Peter from falling away from the faith. Number one, he died for him. He would die for him. And then number two, he prayed for him. He prayed for Peter. Satan was against Peter, but Jesus was for Peter. Satan wanted to destroy Peter, but Jesus prayed that Peter would hold on to him forever. Did you know that there's an amazing benefit to the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead? You said it a moment ago, at least I hope you did, in the Apostles' Creed that we repeated together. There's an amazing benefit. Yes, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We say in the, the Creed, the Holy Ghost, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit so that Jesus Christ, when he died and rose from the dead, he then did what? He eventually ascended into heaven and sent to us the Holy Spirit. And I think we think about sometimes the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives to us 
I don't think we think about very much the ascension of Jesus. I think we miss out on something that's very, very powerful in the Apostles' Creed. And it actually says it this way. He ascended into heaven. This is what Jesus did after the resurrection. He ascended into heaven and he sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I mean, I think that gets lost in our spiritual vocabulary and it doesn't need to get lost. Romans 8 verse 34 says this. Romans 8 verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What does that mean? It means that Jesus our Lord is praying for us. He is praying for us, those of us who belong to Christ and are his children. Did you notice what Jesus prayed when he prayed for Peter? He didn't pray for any of the things that you and I would normally pray for. He actually didn't pray that Satan would leave Peter alone in the providence of God who works out all things for the good of his people and for his own glory. Satan was permitted to wage this attack Which is why I've said throughout this pandemic, our God is on the throne. He has not left his throne. He is in charge. He will see us through this. He intends to use this pandemic in your life and hopefully in the lives of thousands and millions of people in the world to turn them to faith in Jesus Christ. But again, Jesus did not even pray that Peter would not sin. Why not? Because it was God's plan for Peter to see the limits of his own strength. I want you to hear that. It was God's plan for Peter to see the limits of his own strength. And then out of that painful experience to see how much grace God had for him. So that he would be able to encourage his brothers in their struggle against sin. And finally, Jesus did not pray that Peter would be blessed and have his best life now. He didn't. Jesus only prayed, listen to this, Jesus only prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. So if our God, the all-wise God, and if this is what Jesus prayed for Peter, then it must be the most important thing for us to have, and that is faith. To have faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Faith is the very thing that Satan was trying to take away from Peter. So if we can only envision Jesus our Lord on his knees and listen to what he is saying to the Father on our behalf, what courage we would take with us to live for Christ throughout all the troubles of this life. So the danger of spiritual pride is the first lesson. The danger of a spiritual fall is the second lesson. The third and final lesson is the danger of spiritual neglect. You know, right now, I can tell you, it it could be real easy to neglect your spiritual life because you're not able to come to church, you're not able to come to a physical facility and worship and have Bible studies. And, And so spiritual neglect could easily happen for all of us right now. At Stone Mountain in Georgia, there's a warning railing that keeps sightseers from getting anywhere near the edge of that great rock. The mountain inclines so gradually downward that if you got within 75 to 100 feet of the edge, you would find yourself already slipping, unable to recover. You would continue to slide downward and plunge over the edge to to your death hundreds of feet below. 
I think about Peter when I think about Stone Mountain. He takes one step, then he takes another step, and then another step, but he doesn't go over the edge. Peter has left us in the stone carvings of Holy Scripture an example. In Mark 14, it says in verse 37, Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Oh, how we know that, right? We say all the right things. We desire all the right things. But our, our flesh, which is our sinful nature, it's weak. And then verse 39 of Mark 14. Once more he went away, prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Okay, I just want to say, I get that. I have sat in church during a sermon trying to keep my eyes open. You ever done that? I I mean, I know you've done it while I've been preaching, so I get it. Some of you are sound asleep on your sofa right now. Come on, wake up for a minute because Jesus is calling, all right? Their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. I guess not. I guess not. Would you know what to say to Jesus if he told you three times, don't fall asleep, pray pray now, and then he comes and finds you asleep every time? But I want you to notice something. Jesus did not ask his disciples to pray for him. Jesus asked his disciples to pray for themselves so that they would not fall into temptation. Peter had no idea of the temptation that was waiting around the corner for him that night. And in the same way, you and I have no idea about the temptations that are waiting for us right around the corner today, tonight, tomorrow. All the more reason to watch and to pray. I mean, this is a time right now in this pandemic when we should all be very much alert, very sober-minded, praying for one another, praying for ourselves, but praying for one another. But most of us won't do that. The reason we won't do that is because, spiritually speaking, we, we're pretty lazy. How many of us have taken giant steps downward towards spiritual atrophy in the last year? Atrophy is defined as, quote, a decrease in size or a wasting away of a body part, end of quote. So in spiritual atrophy, the believer, out of a sheer neglect of the means of grace, takes giant steps downward on the road that leads to apostasy. So you only have to read the book of 2 Timothy, and I would urge you to do that sometime. You only have to read the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament to hear about some of the casualties of the faith. He gives names. Phygelus and Hermogenes. In verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul writes, they deserted me. And then in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Hymenaeus and Philetus, quote, wandered away from the truth. And then Demas. Demas was a disciple, according to chapter 4, verse 10 of 2 Timothy. He, quote, deserted me because, quote, he loved this present world. End of quote. And then lastly, Peter. Peter did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He denied being a follower of Jesus on three separate occasions. One more step. And he's over the edge. But here's where we must all take a lesson from Peter. He had failed the Lord miserably, but he learned the meaning of repentance. 
Peter, the Bible says, once he realized his sin, he went out and did what? He wept. We didn't read that passage, but I'm going to tell you, after he had sinned and Jesus looked at him, my wife and I went to the Holy Land 18 months ago and we went to the place, to that courtyard where Peter denied Jesus three times. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at Peter when the rooster had crowed. They have a, a mural on the wall of the church that's built there of the look that Jesus gave to Peter. And it's a look like, I knew you were going to do it, Peter. But it's okay. I'm still here. And I'll be with you through all of this. The grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly because he, he saw that look on Jesus' face and it broke his heart. But he repented and he returned. You know, it's not a question of whether or not we will fail. It's really a question of how we'll deal with our sin when we do fail. Guilt and sin and failure will never cease for us until Jesus returns. That means we are free to live and, yes, free even to fail successfully. Peter is a tremendous encouragement to me and I think to all of us because although he turned away, he returned. He came back to Jesus, believing by faith that his sins were forgiven, which enabled him to forgive himself, which is a huge part of forgiveness. And once again, to be a leader in the church and the body of Christ. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for leaving for us in the pages of Holy Scripture the story of Simon Peter. Lord God, thank you for the lesson that Peter is for us, the encouragement he is for all of us, because Lord, he failed you often, mostly with his mouth, but he denied you with his life, and yet you were willing to receive him back and forgive him and use him in such a mighty way in leadership in the church. So he's a great encouragement to us, Lord. And thank you so much that we can fail and fail successfully by remembering that you are our rock. And, and we come to you, Lord, with our sins. We come to you with our failures. We throw them upon you, you Lord God, as our rock. Knowing that you are the rock that will not crush. You will not fall apart. You will, you will hold us still as we walk through the difficulties of life. And in the midst of this pandemic, Father, I pray for the people of our church. I pray for the people of our community. I pray for the people of our state, our nation, and our world. Lord, as you shake the earth, I pray that you will help people to, to look for the answers, look for the hope that they need, and that they will find that hope in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.